Good morning. When uh, I was learning uh, to, to preach in college, I was always taught that there's like two topics that, that tend to separate people and divide people. And generally, generally you wanna stay clear of these topics when you're preaching. Um, one is politics and the other is sports. Um, so I decided we're gonna talk about both today. Um, just because that's how I roll. So, um, and, uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and pray. And uh, this, uh, this idea, I think, of uh, compassion, um, it has been uh, so kind of front and center in our country, and I think it's gonna be kind of interesting to, to look at this through the lens of what we're discussing as a nation right now, all right? So uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, help us to, to joyfully accept it. And, and, to, um, and to live it. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. So Cheryl and I have, uh, we've always loved to travel. From the, the very first time she and I uh, got together, we like to see the world, we, we like to travel, we like to do that whole sort of thing. And when Sam was born, we just kinda, when you have one, he just kinda folded into that, right? It's two on one, that sort of thing. And so he just kinda folded into our traveling schedule. And we know, um, you know, should baby two come along, that, that's gonna change. We're no longer two on one, we're, you know, it's man to man, all right? So, um, and so we've tra- we travel quite a bit. We, we enjoy seeing uh, the United States and eventually we'll, we'll get to the world, but we're just not taking a six-year-old out of the country right now. So, um, so it's no surprise to me that Sam made this comment to us uh, last year that he, by the time he graduates high school, he would like to have visited all 50 states. And so, you know, we weren't sure if we'd be able to do that or not, but we got a little push pin map for above our fireplace. And as we visit places, we're just kind of putting a pin in to kind of see, see the world that, that he's seen. And, and here's why I say that to you, that if you were to ask me when Sam was born, like, what are, what are the things you really want for your child? Uh, seeing the world would have been somewhere on that list. It probably would not have been uh, the top 10, but it would have been on, on the list. There are, it's just not the totality of what we want for him. Uh, there, there are other things we want for him. We want for him to grow up to be generous and, and kind. We want him to grow up to be hardworking. We want him to be a person that respects everyone that he comes across. We want him to have this solid faith in Jesus. And you're the, you're the same way. Um, you have places that you want to see with your kids and you have vacations you want to go on, maybe California or Hawaii or Alaska or some foreign country. You're braver than I am to take your kids out of the country. But um, that is not the totality of what you want for your kids. You have core values and character. You have things you want to build into them. And as a parent, as parents and grandparents, I think we understand this, that there's like the future thing for your family, the thing you're saving for, the thing you're looking forward to, the vacation, the holiday, the, the, the whatever. And then let's just be real about this. Then there's the day-to-day grind of being a parent and grandparent right? There's the day-to-day instilling values and instilling character and and teaching life lessons. There's the future thing you look forward to, and there's the day-to-day kind of in the trenches parenting and and grandparenting. And I bring all of this up because I want to establish our topic today uh, with a really important idea. And we've talked about this before, but one of the mistakes that we have made in Christianity probably over the last 50 years or so is we have made the totality of what God our Father wants to do in our lives is that he wants to take us to heaven when we die. Some future thing. That, that he wants to take us to heaven when we die. And I would, I would say to you that, that that should be encouraging. 
It is encouraging to me that that kind of future thing that, that Jesus wants to do, that uh, to, to, to see the beauty of heaven, to see Jesus. I've been thinking a lot about my mother lately to be able to see her and my grandparents, to see them, all of, of that stuff. But, but just like with my son, there is a future thing that God wants to do, but there is a day-to-day thing he wants to do as well. There, there's a day-to-day grind of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the work that he's trying to do. And, and so we never want to forget that. We never want to make the totality of what he's doing a future event like heaven. We never want to do that. that it, he is going to do that. I promise you he will. But there is this day-to-day work of the Spirit and of Jesus and, and of all of, of that stuff. And that this sermon today is about one of those things. This is about one of those things that he wants to do. So open up your Bibles to Colossians 3. Uh, Colossians 3. Um, the Apostle Paul is the writer of this book. And uh, I want to make sure you understand kind of where Paul, uh, the author, is coming from. The Apostle Paul was somebody that was radically and forever changed by Jesus. He had grown up Jewish. He had grown up in leadership within Judaism. And he grew up really believing that Christianity posed a major threat to Judaism. And so Paul, as he became an adult, one of his jobs was the persecution of, of the church. Here, here's one of the earliest kind of things we see about Paul. This is from Acts 9. It says, meanwhile, Saul, this was Paul's name before, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters uh, to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So this was Paul, one of the first times we ever meet him. So he's breathing out these murderous threats. He, he's trying to imprison Christians, and he's on the road uh, to a place called Damascus. He's going to go there to try to imprison more, and a bright light shines in his face. Jesus speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting me? And over the next few days, Paul, uh, Saul at the time, becomes a Christian, and he, his life is forever changed. It just is. His life is forever changed by Jesus, and he becomes this major, major influence in the church. He's writing a ton of the New Testament. He didn't know it at the time, but I think I'm going to write the New Testament. He didn't know that at the time, right? But he's writing a ton. He's planting churches. He's developing young leaders, and he was a completely changed person. So whenever you read Paul, understand this. He believes with all of his heart that change is possible through Jesus. Because some of you are here today, and like, you're pretty discouraged. Like, I don't think there's any hope for this marriage. I don't think there's any hope for this wayward child. I don't think there's any hope for, for me. And I want you to know, Paul would disagree with you. He really would. Paul would disagree that he believes that through Jesus, change is possible, that change can come. And this is part of the day-to-day grind of what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to bring about change. And so as you read the writings of Paul, one of the core kind of values he has is that it is grace that changes us, right? And we tend to be scared of the opposite. I preached on this a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to talk too long on this, but we tend to think the opposite. Man, if you teach like people about grace and about how they can be forgiven, it's going to be like Sinapalooza, right? And they're going to go backward and they're not going to change. You just need to know Paul completely disagrees with that. Paul believed you need to highlight grace, you need to teach grace, you need to love grace, and grace properly understood will result in change. And so in every one of Paul's books, he will start with grace, right? You can kind of read through his books and check this whole theory out, but in most of his books, he will start 
the book with grace and he'll talk about grace and he'll preach grace and he'll describe grace and then he'll start to move on to all the ways that grace changes us. And the book of Colossians is the same way. Let me show you Colossians 1, 13 through 14. It says, for he, Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And, and so Paul starts with grace. He starts with redemption, he starts with forgiveness, he starts with this whole thing, and then by the time he gets to Colossians 3, he's ready to talk about change, and here's what he says. Colossians 3, starting in verse five. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the, image, uh, in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Remember this from a week ago. You wanna know why Jesus wants to bring change to you and, and to me? Because he loves you. He's not trying to rob you of joy. He's not trying to rob you of life. He's trying to bring you to life. He, he loves you. And Paul highlights this again, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So he uses this illustration of what the day-to-day -day grind of the spirit and the day-to-day -day work of Jesus is, and he uses the imagery of clothes, all right, and about how we gotta take certain things off and put certain things on. And if you're a guy and you have a significant other or you have a wife or, or whatever, you understand this. Uh, because you understand that when you started seeing the person that you love so deeply, they started making changes to your wardrobe. They just did, all right? This is what happens in a relationship, guys accept it, right? About a month into the relationship, you said, hey, where are my skinny jeans? And your significant other said, I spilled bleach on them. And what they're thinking is, you're 42, you shouldn't be wearing skinny jeans. But they, they spilled bleach on them. Whatever happened to my Letterman jacket from high school? Well, I'm not sure where that is. They know where it is. They know exactly where it is. It's in the garbage, all right? What happened to my acid wash jeans from 1989? They got destroyed in a load of wash. You know nothing ever gets destroyed in a load of wash, all right? That never happened. So th this is just, over time you realize that your significant other is impacting the clothes that you wear. And guys, this is a grace, this is a good thing. You need the help, all right? And so Paul's point is, all right, Paul's point is, is that like there are some things that, Je some clothes that we have that Jesus wants to spill bleach on, all right? 
There are some things that he wants to ruin in the wash. And listen, Jesus is great about this. He won't do it without your permission. He's not going to impose that on you. But he invites us and he commands us to be rid of certain clothes and to be done with them. And he gives us a list. We talked about it last week, so we're not going to beat this drum too hard. But it's greed. It's immorality. It's anger, it's filthy language, and, and all of that, that stuff. But he says, man, rid yourselves of, of, of those things. And then he goes on to say, now, as you rid yourselves of those things, Jesus never just asked you to rid yourself of something. He asked you to put some new clothes on. He asked you to put on better clothes. And so I want to just take a, a time out here just for a second, because there is a Bible study hack uh, that I was taught, that, that I want to teach to you. And we've talked about this before, but it is the law of first mention. All right? And the way that it works is that anytime you see a list in the Bible, the, law, the, the first mention usually is some, something of significance for some reason. So if I were to ask you your favorite movie of all time, the law of first mention would say the first movie that you mention has special significance to you. If I were to ask you, name your, your favorite vacation spots ever, the law of first mention says the first place that you mention is probably maybe where you got engaged or where you met your significant other. It has special significance to you. If I were to ask you, who is your favorite child? We'll just move on. All right. Um, you, you get it. The, the law of first mention has special significance. Now, biblically, it even goes beyond that. All right? Biblically, whenever you see a list, typically the law of first mention in the Bible teaches us that when you see a list of things, that usually everything after the first one, everything kind of flows from the first. All right? So let me give you a couple examples before we get back to our text. The fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That all of the other fruits flow from the first. That we are told to love God, we are told to love others, and all the other fruits kind of fall into line. As we love God, we become more patient. Right? The Beatitudes, right, in Matthew chapter 5. The very first one on the list is blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. All the other beatitudes flow from that, that when you're poor in spirit and you're reliant on God, you do tend to mourn over your sin. You do tend to be meek and humble and all of this stuff. Even the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. All the other commandments flow from that idea of putting God first. Now, take a look at the list in our text. All right, of the clothes that we should put on, the very first mention is what? It's compassion. All right, put on, put on all of these. It's compassion. Now let's pause here just for a moment because I think we could use a definition of compassion because everyone probably sees this a different way. The King James translates this idea of compassion as bowels of mercy. Don't you wish you had the King James right now, all right? The, the bowels of mercy. And we tend to think about our heart in our culture, our heart is the place where we are moved. Our heart is the place where we feel emotion, where we feel compassion. This is going to be like really, really crass, and we're just going to move on from it, but you can forget it. In the first century, they were like, your bowels is the place where you are moved. I'm being, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we're nervously chuckling right now, but th that is what they thought of as the place where you are moved. So compassion is an attribute. We'll put this on the screen for you. Compassion is an attribute that causes us to be moved by the problems of others. All right? Compassion is an attribute or a mindset that says their problem is going to become my responsibility. 
Their problem is going to become my responsibility. That, that to, it is to be moved by the problems of others. It's to have a passion for others, a desire to help them in your need. And you can see, if you look at the, the list again, you can see how almost everything in this list flows from the idea of compassion, right? You want to be more kind? Ask God to give you a compassionate heart. I promise you, you'll be more kind. You want to be humble? Ask God to give you a compassionate heart. You will find yourself thinking of yourself less than others more. You want to be gentle and patient? Ask God to give you a compassionate heart. You will be more gentle and you will be more patient. So maybe compassion is one of these things that is better uh, seen than defined. And, and so we, we have some stories in the Bible of where Jesus is either teaching about compassion or demonstrating compassion. One of them is one of those stories that appears in all four of the Gospels, which, by the way, hardly ever happens. There's really not very many stories that appear in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This story does, and it's a story where Jesus has been teaching all day, and they come to the end of the day, and it says Jesus looked at the crowd, and he feels compassion for them. He feels compassion that they have been with him all day, listening to him preach and teach, and they have had nothing to eat. So he says to his disciples, find something for them to eat, and the disciples essentially say, we can't afford that, and it's really not our problem. Now, can we be honest just for a moment? This was not Jesus' problem. That people had been with him all day and they were hungry. Jesus could have dismissed the crowd and said, go find yourself something to eat. This was not Jesus' problem. But true compassion is making someone else's problem your responsibility. Right, and why do you think about that for a minute? Because there is this thing in us that really bristles against that idea. And I know this is true because as I was writing this sermon, I was bristling at this idea. <laughs> that it is making someone else's problem your responsibility. We bristle against that, but that's exactly what Jesus does in this story. So he, his disciples find a boy who had a sack lunch, and he ended up feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. He performs this miracle. He makes their problem his responsibility. On another occasion, Jesus is talking with an expert in the law, and the expert in the law is kind of asking Jesus about the two greatest commandments. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength and your mind and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so the expert follows up with a question about, well, who is my neighbor? Who am I really supposed to show compassion and mercy to? And Jesus tells a story. It's one of the most quoted stories that Jesus ever told. And I'm just going to read it for you because, and we'll put it on the screen for you uh, because we can't tell it better than Jesus did. So he says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down uh, by down on the same road. When he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came uh, to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity. This is our word, pity, compassion, had compassion on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring, in, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and, the, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who had fallen in the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy. There, there it is again, compassion. The one who had mercy on him. Now, 
This was not the Samaritan's problem. It really, it really was not. But he felt this sense of pity and mercy and compassion, and he made it his problem. He made it his responsibility. And so in this story, you see this element of compassion, that compassion is not just feeling moved. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a feeling. But compassion is actually being moved to action. He helps, he pays for his care, he gets him to this safe spot. And then last story I'll share with you is you got the message of the cross. That in the story of the cross, you see that Jesus sees that we are separated from the Father by our sin, unable to live the lives we were created to live. This was not Jesus' problem. It really was not, that we were separated from God. It was kind of like our problem. It sounds like a you problem, right? It's an our problem. This is our problem. But he made it his responsibility. And he went to the cross and he paid for our sins so that we could worship God and follow him in this life and in the next. And here's the deal. I think compassion goes to the heart of how God wants all people to be treated. We're gonna talk about this more later, but, but the, the reason God is so passionate about this idea of compassion is that this goes to his heart of how he wants all people to be treated. That he taught us compassion, he lives a life of compassion, and I like, I wanna talk about this a little bit, because I like the transition from verse 11 to verse 12 in Colossians 3, all right? So he's talking about the impact of Jesus here. He says, here with Jesus at the cross because of the gospel, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But Christ is all and is in all. So he starts out with this idea of Christ came for the barbarian, the Scythian, the slave, the free, the, the Jew, the Gentile. Christ came for all. He came to show compassion to all. He came to show mercy to all. He came to show love to all. He came to offer all an invitation to come to the table. And then the very next verse is verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. Because we want to be like Jesus. And so Jesus came to show compassion and love and mercy to all, so we want to be the, the, the same way. And man, I, I think this is a powerful thing. I think the church, I think we are being called in this text to a radical, not a normal compassion, but a, a radical compassion. So in this text, we see that when it comes to compassion, there is not a racial component. There is, no, there, 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 there is a racial component mentioned in this text, that Jesus came for all. He came for all races, right? He came for the Jew and he came for the Gentile. So as Christians, we are called to compassion beyond racial lines, right? This is what this text is saying is that Jesus came and he showed compassion beyond racial lines. So we too as Christians, if we're gonna be like Jesus, we are called to show compassion beyond racial lines. And can I be honest with you? This is pretty bad right now. Now, I'm not gonna say it's as bad as it's ever been because I think that fails to understand history. But race relations have taken a hit in our country. And I think one of the things that's happening in our country right now is a failure to understand some of the stresses and the struggles of other races. Let me say it a different way. We have stopped listening to each other. And because we have stopped listening to each other, we have stopped being moved. Because in order to be moved, you have to have listened first. 
And so we've stopped listening and we've stopped being moved. And as Christians, man, when the black community is hurting, as Christians, we hurt. When the Hispanic community is hurting, as Christians, we hurt. Because we believe that this gospel moves beyond racial lines. So, so Jesus came for the Jew and the Gentile. He didn't come for any certain race at all. He came for all, to show love to all, to show compassion to all. So as his children, as his church, we are called the same thing. There is no room for racism at the foot of the cross. There, there is not room for that. We are called to love all, show compassion to all, and, and love all. There's a classism mentioned in this text. Paul says that with Jesus, there is no slave and there is no free, all right? There is no slave and there is no free. That Jesus didn't just come for a certain economic level. He came for the slave, he came for the free man, and so as Christians, we are called to be like Jesus. So we are called to compassion on every economic, economic level. And this is another one of those things that has amped up over the last couple of years, that there's a, a core tension, if you will, between classes right now. And I've seen this go a couple different ways. Sometimes you'll have somebody uh, that is doing really, really well, and they'll look at those that are struggling in our country, and they'll say they are the cause of their own problems. They did this, they did that, they did the other thing, they haven't made the right decisions to be successful, and let me put this on the screen for you. Compassion doesn't ask whose fault it is. We'll talk about this in a minute. Compassion doesn't ask whose fault it is. Compassion asks, how can I help? So, We'll talk about this more in a minute. But there is a Christian attribute that will ask, how did you get into this spot? Compassion that we are called to today is not that attribute. You know, there, there's, a, there's a part of the story of the Good Samaritan where uh, the, the, the road that the man uh, at the beginning of the story that he was robbed and beat up and left for dead, um, that, that road was known uh, to be a place where you could get robbed. And so a lot of people think that this was a very dangerous road to travel. A lot of people think that Jesus picked that road intentionally. That, that when he's describing the road, that he's going from this city to this city, that Jesus picked that road intentionally because people in that story would have thought, well, it's his own fault. Right? He shouldn't have been on that road. What is he doing on that road? That's the place where people get hurt and robbed and left for dead, which is exactly, by the way, Jesus, what happened to that guy. And so they think that Jesus picked that story for a reason to teach us this lesson, that compassion does not ask whose fault it is. Compassion asks, how can I help? Now, there are also those that are struggling uh, that might have a temptation to look at those that are not struggling economically, and they might see that problem going through a struggle in a certain area of their life, and, and the person struggling might be tempted to think this, why should I feel bad for them? They're like struggling in one area, I'm struggling in five. Why should I feel bad for them struggling in this one area? And compassion understands that struggle is struggle. And so we wade in and, and we help. We make their problem our responsibility. There's a nationalism mentioned in this text. That it, because of Jesus, there is, no, uh, there is no circumcision indicating that you're part of the Jewish uh, nationality or uncircumcision uh, indicating that you're from another nation. That Jesus did not come for a specific nation. He came for every tongue and every tribe and every nation and every skin color so that every person on the planet, as a matter of fact, the, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus will not return until every tongue, tribe, nation, and skin color has had an opportunity to hear that God loves them and doesn't hate them and wants to have a relationship with them. 
And so as Christians, we, we, don't, we don't just love one nation. We don't love just our nation. Um, we, we, we love all the nations of the world. We pray for all the nations of the world so that they can have an opportunity to know Jesus. I, I've said, you know, one, I've told you this story before, but we had a family member that was going on a mission trip uh, earlier, uh, earlier this year, maybe it was last year, I've slept since then, but they went on a mission trip. And they were, they were talking to a client uh, that they had about going on the mission trip. And uh, this person said to them, I mean, doesn't America have its own problems? Why are you going over there to help those people? And, and that's just not what this thing called the gospel is all about. <laughs> it's just not. That, that I'm just going to love my nation. I'm just going to serve my nation. I'm just going to help my nation. Jesus came for all. He came for the entire world to have an opportunity to sit at his banquet table. One of the great images of heaven is a giant banquet table. I love it because I love food. Um, giant banquet table. And every tribe and tongue and nations invited to sit at the table. They got to accept Jesus, but they are invited to sit at, at the table so we can show compassion to all. Now, there's still a question kind of lingering about why compassion? Why is this so important to God? And let me put what I said earlier up on the screen. I want to reiterate this just for a minute. Compassion ensures that all of God's children are treated the way that God wants them to be treated. That's why this is so important to God. Compassion makes sure from God's vantage point that you are treated the way he wants you treated. And compassion makes sure that I am treated the way that God wants me to be treated. Compassion ensures that everybody outside of these walls is treated the way God wants them to be treated. And a lot of us, let's just address this right now too. A lot of us butt up against compassion, and here's why. And I do too, me too. It feels like a dismissal of justice, right? Compassion, right, making someone's problem my responsibility feels like a dismissal of judgment. Because people, of justice, excuse me. Because people, after all, should reap what they sow. People deserve what they, they get, and, and, and I get that. But we need to separate these two issues a little bit. There is a Christian value of justice. And the Christian value of justice asks the question, why are you in the position that you're in? All right, so justice says, is there a justice issue here? And God claims that responsibility for himself, that he is a God of justice. He is a God of judgment. He also has ordained uh, human authorities and governments to this task. All right, this is why the Bible says to submit to governing authorities, and our governments kind of um, uh, our, our governments kind of screw this up sometimes, but this idea of, of judgment and justice, there is a Christian value of that. Uh, that, that belongs to God, and, and sometimes God kind of pipes it out to, to, human, uh, to hu human elements. So that's a separate issue. Justice is a separate issue. Compassion is the Bible's uh, teaching that, that does not ask why you are in the position that you're in. Compassion doesn't ask that. Compassion sees the position that you're in, and compassion says, I'm going to make that my responsibility. I'm gonna help, I'm gonna love, I'm gonna pitch in, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna do something. And compassion, justice asks why, compassion doesn't ask that question. Compassion just says, I see that you're in there and you may be a victim, and I think compassion is a little bit easier when you see that. You may have done this to yourself, but I am moved by what is happening to you. 
I'm moved by what's happening to you. So let me help in an appropriate way, not an enabling way. Let me pray for you. Let me be here for you. Let me, uh, let, let me be moved that, that this is a tough spot for you. And you may have done it to yourself. That does not take away that it's a tough spot. And you know why Christians have this value? I'll tell you why Christians have this value. Because of one verse. There's probably more, but I, I thought of one. And I want to give you one verse that really teaches us why we should value this. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Do you know why I ended up separated from God as I, as I, as I became an adult? Do, do, you know, do you know what caused that as I began to make choices for myself? It was me. Would I like to have blamed mommy or daddy or whoever? <laughs> I'd love to find somebody to blame for my poor choices. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, it was me. I was in the position spiritually that I was in because of me. And while I was still a sinner, Jesus Christ showed great compassion to me. And he died for me so that I could have the life-changing relationship with God I was created to have. So compassion is just not a virtue that asks that question. Justice, judgment, asks that question. Compassion does not ask the question, why are you in this position? Compassion doesn't care about that. It really doesn't. Compassion is just moved that you're where you're at, you're in the position that you're in, and compassion is moved to help. I knew this was gonna be a long sermon, forgive me. All right, um, and it's gonna be longer. So just stick with me for a little while longer, right? So I saw a super interesting thing to me this week, all right? We'll get to some application stuff now. Um, that I thought it was really, really interesting. Um, how many of you have ever heard of Aaron Hernandez? All right, a few, oh boy, this is not the right illustration. All right, so Aaron Hernandez was an NFL football player. Uh, he played uh, for the Patriots, and he was convicted of a couple of murders. Uh, he ended up getting a life sentence, uh, no possibility of parole, and Aaron Hernandez uh, chose to hang himself um, a, a couple weeks ago now. He, he hung himself in prison. He took his own life. Now, what came out this week that made this story relevant to me is when they did the autopsy on Aaron Hernandez, they had found that he had the worst case of CTE from head trauma, from playing football, the worst case of CTE that they had ever seen in a player his age. He was in his 20s. They'd seen the worst case of it that they'd ever seen on the autopsy. CTE is uh, a condition from repeated head trauma. Uh, it is known to cause violent outbursts. It is known to cause depression and all of this stuff. And what I saw with Aaron Hernandez this week was a compassion began to grow. All right, as the full story became uh, to, be, to be known. And listen, I think Aaron Hernandez should have been convicted. He, he committed those murders. But as you, as you see the whole story, people begin to think maybe there is a little bit more to the story about why he was so violent and why he was so depressed and why he may have taken the, the road that he did. Not an excuse, but just an understanding of the story. And in the sports media, you began to see the sense of compassion um, begin to grow. That man, maybe we don't know the whole story. Can we begin to adapt that as Christians? That when you deal with the really annoying person at work and you see the homeless person on the street, 
when you see the person and you, you are very, very tempted in that moment to say, I'm gonna pass judgment right now. I want you to remember, first of all, that that justice and judgment really belongs to God. Um, that as Christians, we are called to compassion. But I wonder if it would help us when we see that to just think this thought. I don't know the whole story about them. I don't. I don't know the whole story. I don't know what kind of mental illness they may, may be struggling through. I don't know what kind of childhood they had. Um, I, I don't know how their dad was or their grandpa or, or, or whatever. Um, I don't know what was going on with them. And just pause for a moment when we see somebody and there's that temptation, because, hey, me too, just by the way, me too. But when you see it and you're like, oh, you know, you've put yourself in this position or you did this to yourself or you did this to your family. And, and there's a real temptation all of a sudden to stand in judgment to just dial back for a minute and think, Aaron Hernandez, I don't know the full story. I don't know the full story of his life. And maybe that would, that's a great first step, but maybe an additional step would be, I'm gonna learn the full story. I'm gonna pull over and, and have a conversation. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna talk to them and kind of learn, learn the story. Because I'll tell you something, guys. I think it is harder than ever to be compassionate. I really do. I think in this day and age, in the age of social media, it is harder than ever to be compassionate. We are increasingly separated, all right? So we, we, we are becoming increasingly separated as a culture, and just being separated makes it harder to hear each other's stories and, and to learn that kind of backstory about why people are the way they are. Uh, and that's critical to compassion, is understanding and, and grace. Um, we are becoming increasingly rigid in our views. I don't know if you've noticed this when you turn the TV on, but we are all being forced to go to the most extreme view of whatever party or system we belong to. So we're kind of being pushed to the outer realm, and so this is causing our society to become increasingly rigid in our views. There is a lack of social interaction, uh, and when I say social interaction, um, for a lot of people younger than me, I'm actually not talking about Facebook there. When I say social interaction, I mean like actually, there, there used to be this day where we'd actually like talk to people face to face. Um, it was actually pretty magical. Um, and and when, I, when I say social, because people hear social media, but, but I'm talking about social interaction, I'm honestly not trying to, to, to be sarcastic, but I, I just think there's a lack, well I kind of was, but there's a lack of social interaction that is leading to a lack of compassion and man, Compassion would fix a lot of things in this country right now. And Christians should be on the forefront of this. Um, compassion, to, to hear somebody's concerns and to hear somebody's background and to not agree but be moved. How hard is that? To not agree but to be moved. To talk to the old grizzled veteran who is concerned and feels disrespected by NFL players that refuse to stand, to hear their story, to hear their story, to hear their background, and to not maybe agree, maybe you're on the other side of that, to not agree, but to be moved by their story and to be moved with compassion, that when they see that happen in an NFL game, they feel disrespected. To be moved by an NFL player who has concern about race relations in this country 
And for me to understand as a middle-aged white man, I don't understand what life has been like for them. And to maybe not agree with them refusing to stand for the anthem, but to say, I am moved to compassion because I don't know what it was like to grow up in their family. I don't know what it was like to grow up in their community. I don't know what it was like to be out and about with friends and pulled over for no reason. So as a middle-aged white man, I do not understand what it was like for them growing up. And to say, I don't agree with them not standing up for the anthem. I don't agree with them not standing up, but I don't have to agree to be moved. I don't have to agree to be moved. So we just start to be moved. I mean, this whole thing this week, first of all, I think it's ridiculous that we just can't talk anymore. I really do. I think this whole thing's ridiculous, but I think compassion would solve it. To say, man, I don't know what it was like to grow up. You know, I, I, I know a pastor who's, who's African-American, who's black, and was uh, out and about with his white wife and was pulled over by the police. And, and the police came up and asked his wife if she was okay. Right? So, so to just think that that never happens today, I think it's naive, I really do, to think that that never happens anymore. I think it's naive. And to be moved by that, about how it would feel to be an African-American man who loves your wife and you're pulled over and they're asking your wife if she's safe. And you don't have to agree with all the decisions that are made in, in the various communities that we're talking about. You don't have to agree. But what I wanna ask you to do is to be moved. To be moved. I'm not asking you to agree. All right? I was raised by, when I say old grizzled veteran, I was raised by an old grizzled veteran, all right? I was taught to stand for the anthem and to put my hand over my heart and to not say a word, all right? And to not say a word. Just as a side note, this is not what this sermon is about. Uh, I've said a lot that this sermon's not about, but um, in in Dallas, to have uh, people during the anthem uh, boo the players, I was not taught to do that either. When the veteran is being played, you are quiet. That's what I was taught. All right, so I, I think you know, people are trying to make a point to, to boo while the anthem's being played. I was taught that was wrong, right? But, so everybody has a different perspective here. But you don't have to agree to be moved. The Bible would teach this repeatedly. You do not have to agree to be moved. But I think it's gonna require conversation. I think it's gonna require a lot of things. And Paul gives us two of those things. All right, have I offended everybody in the room? All right. Steve underscore Higgs at Comcast.net. All right. So... All right, uh, Scott and I are, um, th- these are gonna be released pretty soon. Uh, we've, uh, we're, we're working on a podcast for our church, Scott Monette and I. Um, he and I, he and I like to talk. Um, and so we thought we should just record these conversations. Um, and so we started doing that. We talked on this issue for an hour and 10 minutes on Friday and recorded all of it. So if you wanna hear a little more perspective when that podcast drops, um, we'll be announcing that and, and you can hear a little bit more about that. But here's what Paul says. He says, set our minds on things above. Set your minds on things above. You know why? Because this is where Jesus is. And he's the most compassionate leader we've ever seen and known. So Paul says, set your mind on him. He is the leader of compassion. So read about him. Read his teachings. Study his life. Be convicted about where we fall short. Make changes. And then here's the other thing Paul would say. Clothe ourselves in compassion. Every single morning that you wake up, Um, we're deciding how we're gonna clothe ourselves. 
that with the media we consume, we're putting on clothes. With the books that we read, we're putting on clothes. With who that we listen to, we're putting on clothes. The friends that we spend time with, we're putting on clothes. Whether or not we have time with God in the morning, we're putting on clothes. And here's what Paul would say, is we want to gravitate toward clothing and toward those things that increase our compassion. So you have friends that increase your compassion, and you have friends that just really make you more angsty, all right? Um, and, and make you less compassionate. You have, you read um, the books that you read are either increasing your compassion or decreasing your compassion. Uh, the, the, the podcasts and, and stuff that you listen to online, radio shows that you listen to online, they're driving you toward compassion or they're driving you away from it. And so Paul says, just consider what clothes you're putting on, who you're spending time with, the media, um, that, that, uh, your, the, the media that you're consuming, uh, the, the friends that you're spending time with. And let's, as a people... Let's just dial this thing back a little bit. A lot of people are angry. A lot of people are upset. And I get it. Let's dial it back a little bit and say, I may not agree. I may not like. I may not think. But can I listen for long enough to be moved by their point of view? Boy, it's hard. But with Christ's help, we can do it. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your compassion, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And our nation is struggling with this right now. We are struggling to listen. We are struggling to hear counterpoints of view. We, we are struggling to take steps toward each other. And I want to pray that your church would lead the way on this. And that we would begin to not always, not agree, because I don't think agreement's in the cards on, on some of this. To not agree, but to be moved. And those are different things. So help us to be moved. Would your spirit do that work in us? That we may disagree, we may think it's disrespectful, we may whatever, but we can be moved. Help us to do that. Help us to better listen, hear people's stories. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. It's in his name we pray, amen. All right, you can stand. Um, it's over. All right, so um, we're gonna have a song of invitation and uh, um, I'd love to pray with you. If uh, you have a prayer request or prayer need or you wanna just learn more about Jesus, I would love to pray with you. We have a couple prayer counselors up here. Um, let's pray this morning for compassion, for compassion. Um, not a change of mind, because I don't think that's coming, although God could do that. But let's just pray for compassion, that we'd be moved by each other's stories as we sing this song.